Praise the Lord. Well, it's such a blessing to be back here at Grace Fellowship. My wife and I are so excited. What an amazing church you guys have. You're very blessed to be here. Amen? That's right. And you're blessed to have your pastor. Wonderful man of God. We've gotten to know him and uh, really appreciate him. Uh, quite an, an amazing man. So, Pastor Jeff, we so appreciate you. Thank you for having me in your pulpit. Uh, I don't take this lightly. I'm very honored. Praise God. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, some people say, Bill, you know, Romans 2 says uh, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So, and you're preaching hell. Aren't you preaching scare tactics? Well, yeah, I guess I am. Uh, but, you know, hell should scare any rational person. But it is the goodness of God because it's a message of love. It's a message of warning. God's letting us know there really is a hell. It's far worse than you can imagine. But he's warning people you don't have to go there. It's the same as if you're a parent, you warn your child not to play in a busy street. Right? God's given us a warning. But, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about hell. And that's mainly because it's not talked about. Um, but we need to talk about it because Jesus did in 46 different verses. Why did he talk about it so much? Because that's what he saved us from. There was a 2013 Barna poll that showed that 71% of Americans believe in hell, but actually less than one half of 1% believe they're going to go there. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 7, many are going there and few are going to heaven. The poll also showed that 54% of Americans believe that if you do good works, you'll enter heaven. Yet Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace, not by works. In addition, the poll showed that less than 32% of Americans believe that hell is a place of torment. Yet Jesus said, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched, where they're cast into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He mentioned everlasting fire, everlasting damnation, and everlasting punishment. So we all have a choice. Do we believe Jesus or the polls? Your choice. Well, I'm just here to share with you some information that will enable you to make an informed decision about your afterlife if you're not familiar with the Bible. Now, this was not a near-death This was not um, a near-death experience that I had. This was an out-of-body experience. This happened on November 23, 1998, and it was not a near-death experience. It was an out-of-body experience that would be classified as a vision in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2, Paul, when he was caught up into heaven in a vision, he said whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord showed me that I left my body. So in a vision, you can actually travel. Paul and John actually went to heaven in their spirit bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, talks about a natural body and a spirit body. So you can travel in a vision. And um, Ezekiel, in chapter 8, he was picked up by his hair, and he was carried from Babylon to Jerusalem in a vision. He was told to eat. He experienced the sweetness of the food in his stomach. He wept. He conversed. My point is, in a vision, you can experience the same things in your spirit body that you would in your physical body, and it's just as real. And this is not to compare my experience with any of the great men in the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this, how this can occur for a Christian. I've been a Christian for 49 years. The only way a Christian can see hell is in a dream or a vision. But Job 7.14 says, You scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions. So you can't have a terrifying vision. Isaiah 21, 2, he was given a grievous vision. And in Job 4, 14, Eliphaz was given a vision that caused his bones to shake. So you can't have a grievous, terrifying, bone-shaking vision. 
But one thing that was unique about this vision, God blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian. He hid that fact from me. You say, Bill, where's that in the Bible? In Luke 24, 16, when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were holding that they should not know him. John MacArthur's commentary and Matthew Henry's commentary point out, quote, they were kept by God from recognizing him. God hid it from their minds. Other examples of this are in John 20, 14, Luke 18, 34, Daniel 4, 34, 2 Kings 4, 27, and, the, and other places in the Bible. But the reason God hid it from my mind was for a reason, and I will get to that and explain why he hid that fact from me and uh, so forth. So <clears throat> also, you know, you might say, Bill, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. Why do I need to hear about hell? Three quick reasons. Number one, when you understand how severe hell is, you'll be much more appreciative of your own salvation from what he saved you from. A lot of Christians today believe in a teaching called annihilationism. And that's a teaching that says you simply cease to exist if you deny Jesus. But that is not true. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, he said um, that uh, in Matthew 25, 46, that these should go into everlasting life and these should go into everlasting punishment. He used the word everlasting, then describing heaven as everlasting, the word ionios, just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. It says the same thing in John 5, 29, Mark 16, 16, Daniel 12, 2, Acts 24, 15, Matthew 13, 30. Many other places point out that hell is eternal, and you'll thank God you were saved from this horrible place. Number two, it causes us as Christians to walk more in the fear of the Lord. You know, and the fear of the Lord is simply that you read his word and you obey his word. Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 17 says that you have enough respect for God that you obey him. A lot of Christians don't obey God. You know, they live compromised and live playing around with sin and so forth. When you understand how severe hell is, you will not want to play around with sin. You'll thank God he saved you from the hor this horrible place, and you'll want to walk more circumspect and walk in holiness before God. Also, the fear of the Lord is understanding that there are consequences for our actions. You know, and not that, that your actions judge whether you get into heaven or not, but as far as just living as a Christian, to walk in holiness before God and keep his word. Jesus said, my mother and brethren, those that hear the word of God and do it, we're supposed to obey his word. But when you see how severe hell is, you want to more so than you do now. And Proverbs 16, 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It's that healthy, reverential fear of God that keeps us walking the straight walk. And number three, it gives us more of a passion for the lost, a desire to want to witness. You know, Bill Bright said only 2% of Christians even bother to witness. Yet that's what we're all called to do. This is not to condemn anybody, but it is to convict our hearts. As Christians, we're supposed to have the heart of God. And each day as we get up, uh, think about, Lord, use me today. Put me in front of somebody today that I can witness to. Lord, I'm available. Use me. See, you have that heart. When you understand how severe hell is, you'll think, man, I don't want my family going there. I don't want my friends going there. I didn't know it was that severe. And so you'll take more of an effort. You'll have more of a passion for the lost. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, even though the scripture's talking about the reward seat for Christians, commentaries also point out he was talking about judgment and hell in general. When you understand judgment and hell in general, you'll be more persuasive with men. You'll have more of that passion, that desire. Okay, can you see that? So that's why it's important for us Christians to hear more about hell. It'll wake us up. And you'll thank God, like I said. Thank God he saved her from this terrible place. My wife and I went to a prayer meeting. We attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. I had never studied the topic of hell at this point. I, had, I was a Christian. Glad I wasn't going there. 
and uh, but I had never studied the topic. I had never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs, and I never had a vision before. We came home like any other normal night. Went to bed. I got up at three o'clock in the morning just to get a glass of water. And I was walking through our living room, just towards the kitchen. And suddenly I was pulled out of my body, like being drawn up out of your body. And I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel. And it was getting hotter and hotter. And I entered this open cavern-like area, and I landed on a stone floor in an actual prison cell in hell. Rough-hewn stone walls, bars, filthy, stinking, dirty, but like a dungeon. But Isaiah 24, 22 says, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7, 27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17, 16 says, they shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2, 6, the earth with her bars was about me forever. And the Tyndale, the New International Commentaries both point out that Jonah himself was at the gates of hell and it was literal bars and gates. Well, that's where I first found myself, face down on the floor in this filthy, stinking prison. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life. I wondered, why am I alive? I should be incinerated in this heat. And so my reaction was I wanted to get up and run out of this prison cell. That was my first reaction. But I tried to move, and I couldn't. It was, took so much effort to even move. But see, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? And Psalms 88, 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, thousand times worse than that. Any movement takes tremendous effort in hell. But see, Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. Well, I looked up and I saw these two demons in the cell. They were reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over the one's body, a huge jaw, sunken in eyes, claws about a foot long. And these particular two were about 12 or 13 feet tall. That's not an exaggeration. I could give you scripture for that, but I got to keep moving. They were pacing in the cell like a vicious, caged animal. They have the most ferocious demeanor, and they were blaspheming and cursing God. But we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, and some others. Then they directed this hatred they had for God. They directed it towards me. I wondered why. What have I done to them? But the one demon picked me up and threw me into the wall of this prison cell. And I collapsed. I hit the, the wall. I had felt as if every bone in my body had broken. I wondered, why am I alive through this? But I understood that most of the pain was being blocked. I didn't understand then, but on the way back, the Lord explained to me that he blocked most of the pain that I would have felt from that. But he did allow me to feel a small amount of it so I could relate to people that it's not a state of the mind. It's not metaphorical pain. It's real, literal pain you're going to feel in hell. Thank God he blocked most of it. And then this other demon that was in the cell grabbed me and off the floor, picked me up, and dug, dug its claws into my chest and just tore the flesh open. This is happening. I couldn't believe, why am I alive through this? I should be dead. And I noticed, I looked, I had a body. But Matthew 10, 28 says, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And remember Luke 16, the rich man Jesus talked about, that he wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. He had a mouth to speak. He had eyes to lift. He had a tongue. You have a body in hell, but it withstands these torments. 
But something else I noticed, there was no blood or water coming from the wounds. It was just all dry. But see, Leviticus 17, 11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9, 11 says, thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for you. But see, Psalms 103, 17 says, the mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. Well, they don't fear him in hell, so they don't derive the benefit of mercy. Now, about this time, it went dark. I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see. And then God withdrew his attribute of light, and it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. Psalms 88, 6, Psalms 143, 3, and many other scriptures about darkness. But it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel it. But Exodus 10, 21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. See, because it's so wicked and evil there and so dark, it seems to penetrate just right through every cell in your body. And you're absolutely terrified in this darkness. I was taken out of this pit, pit, uh, this prison cell, and I was placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across. I just understood that with flames raging high up under this open cavern. And it was not metaphorical or allegorical flames. I felt the heat, I saw the fire, but more importantly, it's what the scripture says. Psalms 11, six says, upon the wicked, he will rain fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Psalms 140, verse 10, let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13, 49, the angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Isaiah 33, 12 says, the people shall be as the burnings of lime. They shall be as thorns cut up and thrown into the fire and burned. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Many scriptures about burning, but this is where I could first see people inside this pit. I could see through the flames and see the outlines of people inside this pit burning. There were thousands of people screaming. Now, you could not identify a man from a woman. It just looked like skeletons with like flesh hanging off their bones. It's the most awful sight to see a person on fire. Most of us have never seen that, unless you're a fireman. And the screams were so loud you want to get away from that, but you have to endure the screams for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 57, 21 says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. No peace of mind, no peace of any kind. But see, Isaiah 32, 18 says, my people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not his people. You don't derive the benefit of quiet. Now, I understood I was down deep in the earth. I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell or Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word. Hades is the Greek word for the current hell. And uh, I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20, number 16, 32, and 33. Very clear it's down deep in the earth, but I understood that. I also understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. But remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, you shall receive the greater damnation. Well, that infers a lesser damnation. Or Matthew 10, 15, uh, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That infers a less tolerable. Or Hebrews 10, 28, of how much worse of a punishment suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. There's a worse punishment. But my point is, there is no comfortable, tolerable level in hell. 
any level is far worse than you can imagine. I wanted to talk to my wife. I wanted to let her know where I was at, but I understood I'll never get that opportunity. See, Job 7, 9 says, he that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. You understand you're not going to get out. And to have no finality with your family, you can't say goodbye to them. You can't tell them one more time how much you love them. Never get to hold her again. None of that. And see, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from, from God. You still exist. You're just down deep in the earth. And, and the people up on the earth don't realize you're still existing down deep in the earth suffering. And that thought alone that you never could say goodbye to your family or tell them how much you love them, that thought alone is tormenting to live with for all eternity. I wanted to talk to a person, just anybody, right? There's pleasure in conversation to be with people. Even if you don't know them, there's pleasure in fellowship. Well, in hell, you don't get to do that. Even though I saw those people in the pit of fire, they're all kept at a distance from each other. So you never have any conversation. You have no fellowship with anybody for all eternity. You're just isolated and by yourself. And you have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. But Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. You have no identity. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, Your name is covered in darkness. And you're forgotten in hell. Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, Deuteronomy 32.26. Psalms 109, 15, all explain that you're forgotten. That's an awful thing that you, you know up on the earth, nobody's given you a thought, right? I mean, do you think about anybody in hell, right? You don't. If you go to a funeral today, it, no matter what the religion, they usually state, well, they've gone to a better place. But that's not the case for most. Most people have gone to hell, and few are going to heaven, Jesus said. And so you're forgotten in hell. Um, it's a place of confusion, Jeremiah 20, 11, Isaiah 45, 16 mention everlasting confusion. Job 10, 22, a land without any order. You know how we like things in order in life, right? Because we serve a God of order. Hell is the antithesis. Chaos, confusion, hectic. Nothing makes any sense. So you have to endure all that commotion, that confusion for all eternity. The stench in hell is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors worse than any open sewer you have ever smelled. But remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting foul odor to them. Also, the smell of burning flesh, a uh, rotting corpse, the Bible talks about. The stench of a dead body is really horrendous. And also, the smell of burning sulfur. And if you go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the toxicity of the sulfur coming up from the volcano, it's called sulfur dioxide. And if you breathe it, it will kill you. It's toxic. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. The word brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's worse than that. There's not enough air to breathe in hell. It's not like here where you get to take a nice deep breath. There's not enough oxygen in hell. So you have to fight for even the tiniest bit of air. And this is how you breathe in hell. It was like, uh, uh, uh. that was as much air as you could get. Any moment you feel like you're going to suffocate. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says the Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God is very specific with his word. So maybe only an asthma patient can relate to that, what it's like to not be able to breathe. You feel like you're going to suffocate. For all, for all eternity, you have to endure that. 
I was standing next to this big pit of fire and demons were shoving people back in this big pit. They were clawing their way, trying to claw their way out of this big pit they were burning in. And, but they had no strength to even lift themselves out. But there were demons pushing them back in. And all along, the, um, I could only see, I have to explain this, a pit a mile across here on the earth with flames would produce a lot of light, right? But in hell it doesn't. It is so dark, it consumes the light. I could only see through it and just along the edges. And along the edges of this big pit were individual pits of fire. And people were in individual pits also. And the flames would rage up on their bodies and their flesh would burn off, and they would scream in agony. Then the, fl the flames would subside, and it looked to me that the flesh seemed to reconstruct itself, and then it would, the flames would rage up again and burn off again. That's the way it looked. I can only explain what I saw, but these people were in agony burning. So some were in the big pit, some were in individual pits, some were in prison cells. But no matter where you're at, anything is horrendous in hell. And I, along the cavern walls, there was a tunnel of cavern walls that were ascending upward that I would notice I was standing around, uh, it was around me. And all along the cavern walls were demons, uh, twisted, deformed, grotesque. Some were only two and three feet tall, some were 12 and 13 feet tall, but everything was distinctly deformed, twisted, grotesque, hideous looking creatures. And there were snakes all over everything and crawling everywhere. And there were, I noticed I was standing on, uh, a solid bed of maggots. Maggots were everywhere and all over everything. But remember, Jesus said, where their worm dies not. Look it up in the original. It's the word maggot. And um, Isaiah 14, 11 says, where the maggot will be spread under thee and the worm will cover thee. Look it up in the original. It's the word maggot. And I never knew this, but if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, after they consume the flesh, maggots die. I never realized that, but they will die after they can consume the flesh. That's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not, because the flesh is never fully consumed in hell. So as Job 24, 20 says, the maggot will feed sweetly on thee. Is that disgusting enough? You're hungry. You get that feeling of hunger for all eternity. Never get to eat. Thirst. Remember the rich man Jesus talked about wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue? He begged for one drop of water. Now, if I was to give you a drop of water, just one drop, that wouldn't suffice, would it? You wouldn't value one drop, but in hell you would. You would do anything for that one drop that you'll never get. The fear level that you experience in hell is so far beyond anything you can imagine. Most of us have gone through something in life that was fearful. I'm going to share with you an experience I had so you can relate. Because the Bible says fear has torment. And, um, but anyway, I'll share this experience. When I was 17 years old, I used to surf a lot. And we were at Cocoa Beach, Florida, surfing. About 100 guys out that day having a great time. Well, the guy next to me, suddenly a shark came and tore his leg off. That was blood all over the water. Now a whole bunch of sharks came. And we're about a half a mile off the beach, so it breaks out real far when it's big. And uh, so we got up on our knees, and I was on a nine-foot-long board, and a shark passed by. My board, he was longer than the board. It was a tiger shark. If you know anything about tiger sharks, they're vicious. They eat anything. Well, they, the shark came back. It was sharks everywhere, but the shark came back and bit my board right in half. Now I was swimming in the water. My buddy was knocked off his board too, and he looks at me and says, Bill, I guess we're dead. And then uh, the shark came back and grabbed my leg and pulled me down under the water. Now, if you can imagine the fear that I felt, even though you haven't been through that per se, you can at least imagine what that fear would be like. It, I tell you, it's... 
There's not much worse that I can imagine in life than that. But that fear that I felt at that moment paled in comparison to what you feel in hell. It wouldn't even register in hell. But see, Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, you cast them down into destruction where they are utterly consumed with terror. You're consumed with terror, but it's for all eternity. It's not just for a few seconds. But praise God, the shark not only opened his mouth and let me go, but I looked and I didn't have a mark in my leg. That's impossible. God was looking out for me then. And I was not even a Christian then. But I became one right after that. I got saved. <clears throat> I knew that had to be God that did that, that rescued me. We serve a good God, amen? I want to take a minute and give you some scripture about being tormented in hell. I know I've been giving you scripture, but that's what's important for you to believe. It doesn't matter if you believe my experience. I'm not here to convince you to believe my experience. I'm here to convince you to believe the word of God. That's all that matters. So I want to take a minute because some people say, Bill, aren't you exaggerating hell? I mean, demons tormenting and come on, that's an exaggeration. No, this is what the Bible says. So can I give you scripture for another minute uh, that talk about being tormented in hell? Okay. All right. Matthew 18, 34 mentions being delivered to the tormentors. Luke 12, 47 says you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. Who's doing the beating? Psalms 50, verse 22, you that forget God, you'll be torn in pieces. Matthew 24, 51, I will cut him in pieces where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalms 116:3. the pains of Sheol have gotten hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Amos 5, 18 and 19, for what good is the day of the Lord to you, judgment day? It'll be darkness, and as a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Job 33, 22, his soul draws near to the pit and his life to the destroyers. Psalms 141, 7, their bones are scattered at Sheol's mouth. Psalms 49, 14, their beauty shall consume away in Sheol from their dwelling. Psalms 32, 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Psalm 78, 49, I will cast my wrath upon them by sending evil angels among them. Deuteronomy 32, 22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn into the lowest hell. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with poison of serpents of the dust. Matthew 22, 13, Jesus said, bind them hand and foot and cast them into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 19, 27, Jesus said, bring my enemies that would not let me reign over them and slay them before me. Luke 20, 18, Jesus said, this stone on whoever it falls will grind him to powder. The stone Jesus is talking about is himself will grind that person to powder that rejects him. One more verse, Psalm 74, 20 says, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty full of the habitations of cruelty. Look up the word cruelty in the Strong's Concordance, number 2555. It's the word Hamas. You know the terrorist group, Hamas? That word means ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. So for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. Well, that's what you're experiencing in hell. So you say, Bill, why would God make such a horrible place? Well, Jesus said why. In Matthew 25, 41, he said, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. 
He never intended for man to go there. He prepared it for the devil, but he used the word prepared. That's the same word he used in John 14 too, where he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven or make ready. So he was preparing heaven for us and he was preparing hell for the devil. But what he did in the preparation was, you see, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So all the good we enjoy in life, the fresh air, sunshine, fellowship, drinking, eating, sleeping, all the good comes from God. It's not automatic. So what he did in the preparation was he simply withdrew his attributes or his goodness. See, hell is dark because 1 John 1.5 said God is light. There's only death in hell because John 1.4 said God is life. There's only hatred in hell because 1 John 4.16 said God is love. There's no mercy in hell because Psalms 36.5 says the mercy of the Lord is in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18.32 said it's the Lord that gives us strength. There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11.11 says water is the rain of heaven. And there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9.6 says he is the prince of peace. So see, if God removes himself from the situation, all the good goes with him. You can't have the good without God. You can't separate the two. So if you're a person in life that says, I don't want anything to do with God, fine. There's a place prepared that has nothing to do with him. Can you see that? Other than one thing, the fire in hell does represent God's wrath. All through the scripture, it says he will pour out his wrath on sin in the form of fire. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath. So you can either let Jesus take it or you can take it. Your choice. As I was looking at all this horror, demons shoving people, bang it, people burning, the stench, maggots, something began lifting me up in this dark tunnel. And it was so dark. And then suddenly in the middle of this pitch black darkness, this bright light appeared. Now I didn't see his face. I just saw the outline of a man standing in a bright, pure, holy light, like no light I have ever seen. But I knew immediately who it was. When Jesus shows up, there is no doubt in your mind who he is. And I just called out his name. I said, Jesus. And he said, I am. He said, I, that's all he said. When he said that, I went out. I don't know if I died or passed out. I don't know what happened there. I can only explain it through Revelation 1.16. When John saw him, he said his countenance was bright as the sun, and I fell at his feet as one dead. Well, that's what happened to me. But then he touched me. And after a time, when I came to at his feet, it hit me so strongly. If he wouldn't have gone to the cross, I would be in that place for all eternity. I was so grateful for the cross. I was so thankful that the creator of the heavens and the earth died a horrific death on the cross for me to keep me out of hell. I didn't want to ask him any questions. I just want to thank him. I just kept saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. That's all I kept saying. I didn't want to ask him any questions. But after a time, thoughts started coming to my mind, and he, went, he would answer my thoughts. But Psalms 139.2 says he answers our thoughts afar off. And I first thought, Lord, why did you send me to this horrible place? He said, because many people do not believe hell is real. He said, even some of my own people do not believe hell exists. That statement surprised me. I thought, wait a minute, don't all Christians believe in hell? But we have found out since many Christians believe in annihilationism, which I mentioned, or universalism, that's another false teaching that says everybody gets saved. That's false teaching. 
or soul sleep. You just go to sleep. There's many false teachings that churches are teaching. He wanted me to go and point people to the scripture. I'm just a signpost. Check out the scripture. You don't have to believe me. I said, Lord, why did those demons hate me so much? He said, because you're made in my image and they hate me. Remember John 15, 18, Jesus said, they hated me before they hated you. See, demons hate God, but they can't hurt him, but they can hurt his creation. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, the destruction we see in life, the evil and destruction and sickness and disease and poverty, all that comes from the demonic realm. It doesn't come from God. We serve a good God that came to give us life more abundantly. It's wonderful, right? We serve a good and a loving God. I thought, Lord, I don't want to tell anybody about this experience. They're going to think I'm crazy. He said, it's not your job to convict their hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's. He said, you just go and tell them. And I said, yes, sir, I'll go. I mean, obey God when he says. But I have to admit, honestly, I, after the, I came back from this experience, I wanted to witness more, but I didn't want to share this experience with anybody. I still didn't want to. And uh, I told one, my best friend, and he said, Bill, uh, why don't you come to my Bible study and share it? I said, no way. Well, he talked me into it after three months, so I went reluctantly. And um, anyway, after that, it spread like wildfire all around the country. So my wife and I started getting invited. We both work real estate. I have a real estate company. She worked for a builder. And uh, we, we took her two days off a week and her vacation time, and we traveled wherever we were invited. We never looked for any place to go. We were just kept getting invited. I didn't really want to go. And uh, we went. We paid our own way. We never took one penny from anybody for seven years. Then after that time, the publisher came to me, and they said, would you write a book on your experience? And I said, who would read my book? I'm just a realtor. Who would buy up my book? But I wanted to write it because I could place in there all the scriptures that have to do with hell. You know, that's what's important for people to believe. So I placed over 150 verses in my first book about everything I saw is already in the Bible. And that's what's important for you to believe. But I complained to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm a conservative person. I don't want, I got a good job. I make a lot of money. Well, I don't need this. I don't need ridicule, pay my own way, travel around the country. And I feel uncomfortable. I'm too conservative a person. But besides that, hell was so severe. I thought, Lord, even if I was the best speaker in the world, I could not articulate it well enough, severe enough to get it across to people how bad it really is. So I thought it's futile to even try. And I complained to the Lord. He put up with me for seven years. And, I, and, I, and one day I heard his voice say, Bill, it's not about you being comfortable. It's about you being obedient. And that convicted my heart. I thought, you know, Lord, I am so sorry. And now it doesn't matter if I feel uncomfortable. Because if one person can come to the light of the scripture and avoid this horrible place, then it's worth any uncomfortableness I would ever feel. But you know what? All of us have a job to do. God's given us all something to do. And we're all equally important. There are no big shots with God. So I encourage you, whatever God's told you to do, just do it with all your might. We don't have a lot of time. And you have a talent and ability that God's given you that I don't have. And we all need each other. It's a team effort. I said, Lord, uh, why didn't I know you? Remember I told you he blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian? I explained that to you, right? This is the reason he blocked it from my mind. You see, if I was there as a Christian, which I was, but I didn't realize, I would have known, praise God, he's getting me out of here. Right? As Christians, we know our destiny is heaven. I would have known that. He wanted me to experience what they feel. 
hopelessness. See, Isaiah 38, 18 says, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They have no hope for him because it's too late. And none of us in life here know what it's like to be hopeless. Because even if your situation is so dire, you're in agony pain, you know you can die to get out of the pain. But in hell, you understand you'll never get out of the pain. And there's no one going to come rescue you. You grasp all that. And here we think of time as a beginning and an end. Hell, you can grasp there is no end to time. It goes forever and ever. A hundred million years will go by. You're still in agony, and there's no one ever going to come rescue you. You understand that. I just want that to sink into you just for a minute, okay, so you can get that, why it's so important for us to witness and share this with people, because after they die, one second after they die, it's too late. They won't get another chance, and they'll have all eternity to think about what they, they had an opportunity, and they didn't take it. Or maybe you didn't take your opportunity to witness to them. It's, it's, I want to encourage you to do that because I'm telling you, that hopeless feeling is the worst part of hell. Understanding you're not going to get out. We went above the earth's surface. We were in a whirlwind tunnel coming out of hell. There's scripture for all this, but I got to keep moving. And we went above the earth, and we actually went out all the way out into space coming out of this tunnel. And I looked back, and I could see the earth. Like, like the astronauts see it, hung on nothing. That's Job 26, 7 said, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. I look back at God's glorious creation. I thought, wow, what's holding this earth up? What's making it turn so perfectly at 1,000 miles an hour, not varying at, at all? And the vast oceans, how big they are, and they're not spilling over onto the land. I'm just telling you what was in my mind, seeing how big God is. I looked out to the universe, and I could grasp a little bit more than we can here how big the universe is, the trillions and billions of stars, and that God's controlling every one of them. Not one is colliding. Everything is within his control. I was thinking, man, we serve a big God. And then I realized that he knows every thought of every person on the planet, every thought that's occurring on it, and every hair on our head which changes every second. God knows all that. I was enjoying how big of a God he is, but then he had me turn around and look at that tunnel we just came out of, and people were falling one after another, after another, back down into hell. He wanted me to remember this. He let me feel peace of his heart, the anguish he feels for his soul falling into hell. I couldn't stand to feel it. I said, Lord, stop. I don't want to feel what you're feeling, the, the pain, the uh, anguish of a soul falling into hell because he loves people so much. You know, Ephesians 3.19 says, uh, his love passes knowledge. His love way passes our ability to love our loved ones, right? We all love our family and your kids. You give your life for your children. Well, God's love far exceeds that. And he opened up a scripture to me. Psalms 139, 17 and 18. David said, your thoughts toward me are all precious. And I suppose if I should count them, they are more than the sands of the sea. Now, we read over that glibly and think, oh, that's nice. But no, God said, look at this. His thoughts toward us are all precious, good thoughts, and they're more than the sands. Well, if I picked up a handful of sand, there'd be thousands of granules in my hand, right? If each granule represented a thought, and I took one granule and I said, I love how my wife prays for me all the time. I love how she prays for her parents. I love how considerate she is. I love how beautiful she is. You came back three or four hours from now, and I'm still trying to exhaust the amount in my hand. You would say, Bill's really gone over his wife, man. He's crazy about her, right? That's just to, to exhaust the amount in my hand. Well, God says his thoughts toward us are more than the sands on the whole earth. Now, how many granules are on the whole earth? But see, that's not an exaggeration because God can't exaggerate. 
See, that, that's how much he loves each person and doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He died a horrific death to keep us out of hell. So that really impacted me, the great love of God that he has for every person. Now you say, Bill, the, this loving God, how could he send a good person to hell? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. I'll get to that in a minute. But good doesn't work for two reasons. If you're thinking good will get you into heaven. Good doesn't work for two reasons. Number one, your standard of good and God's are two different things. See, James 2.10 says if we offend his law in one point, we're guilty of all. If we have one, Revelation 21.8 says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. If we lie once. If we steal one thing, 1 Corinthians 6.9 says no thief will inherit heaven. If we have one lustful thought, Jesus said that's the same as committing adultery. And no adulterer will inherit heaven. Well, that's just three of the Ten Commandments. So if we're going to be judged by that standard, would we be guilty or innocent? We'd all be guilty, right? There's even a scripture in Proverbs 24, 9 that says, even the thought of foolishness is a sin. If we have one foolish thought our entire life, that would exclude us from heaven. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? So none of us can stand before a holy God and say, hey, I'm pretty good, let me in. He's going to say, no, you're not. Not according to my standard, you're not good. Matter of fact, Job 15, 16 says, man is so filthy, he drinks iniquity like water. Thank God it's not based on being good but on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because not one of us in this room would make it to heaven. But you might not be convinced yet. See, a lot of people really struggle over this good thing. They think, yeah, but a good person, my neighbor's a good person, I can't see them going to hell. Let me explain one more thing uh, about good. I was on a secular radio talk show, syndicated across the nation. They said, Bill, watch your back with this guy. He does not like Christians, and he will spit you out off the air. Well, I went on the air and he said, okay, Christian, don't you quote me one Bible verse on my airwaves. You got that? I don't want to hear none of that Bible on my airwaves. I said, okay. He said, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable because you don't consider my viewpoint. My viewpoint is just as valid as yours, and I'm a good person, and I should be let into heaven. And if your God doesn't let me into heaven, he's actually guilty of a hate crime. Wow. So what do you got to say for yourself, Christian? Well, what do you say? You're live on the air. Well, God gave me an analogy. Thank God. <laughs> I said, okay, you think you're a good person. You should be let into heaven. I said, okay. Say you went and found the most expensive home in the country, and you knocked on their door, and you said, uh, excuse me, but I'm moving in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? Uh, no, I don't think so. You don't know them. You wouldn't expect them to let you in. You have no relationship with them. I said, but you, you go through your whole life. You have nothing to do with God. You deny Jesus as the son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because you're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. You have no relationship with him. I said, see, God offered to be your father, but you pushed him away offered throughout your entire life. He offered to be your father. People came across your path and witnessed. You have a Bible. You have churches everywhere. You heard the word. You pushed them away. See, God is your creator. He's not your father till you invited Jesus as your savior. Then he becomes your father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans 9.7 and 8, John 17.9 all explain that he's your creator. He is not your father till you invite him in. So that's unreasonable for you to expect to live at someone's house that you don't even know. He said, well, you Christians are narrow-minded. You think you're the only ones that's right. You know, I think all roads lead to heaven. That's what I think. I said, okay, let me give you another analogy, which God gave me on the spot. Thank God. 
I said, you're not, okay, you think we're narrow-minded and that all roads lead to heaven? I said, okay, say you invited me over to dinner to your home. And you said, Bill, I want you to go south on Highway 95, turn right at Main Street, go up the hill, you'll come to my house. But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I think I'm going to go north on 95. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard because I think all roads lead to your house. That's what I think. Well, you're going to tell me, Bill, you're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. The same thing. God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives. <laughs> right? All we have to do is follow his clear directions and we will get there. That's not narrow-minded. That's specific. He's given us specific clear directions on how to get to his house. He's not trying to keep us out. See, people think God's up there arbitrarily saying, well, this one goes to heaven and this one goes to hell. It's not that way. All of us above the age of accountability are automatically on the road to hell. John 3, 17 and 18 says we're condemned already because we're born in sin. Psalms 51, 2. That's different than being sent there. We're already going there. That's why Jesus came was the plan across right in the millet road that we are all on. So all we have to do is be humble enough to admit that we're sinners, look up to the cross, trust in the cross, repent of our sin, and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He'll take us off that road that we're all on. He says to me, well, Bill, can't God overlook my sins? I mean, I don't kill anybody. That's the other misconception. If you don't kill anybody, uh, then you're good enough for heaven. I said, no, God cannot overlook our sins for two reasons. Number one, God is a just judge. And a good judge in our land would not be considered good if you let the criminal go free, right? The crime has to be punished. Or our sin has to be punished. But Jesus took that punishment for us. So you can either let him take it or you can take it. If you reject him, you have to take it. It's your choice. So he can't overlook our sin because he's just. But number two, also God is a, Hebrews 12, 29 and Nahum 1, 5 said, God is a consuming fire. And so his nature is different than ours. See, if I stuck my hand into the fire to retrieve something and the fire burned me, I wouldn't say, why'd that fire burn me? That was mean of that fire. I wouldn't say that, would I? Because the nature of the fire and my hand are not compatible. Well, neither is a holy God and sinful man compatible. We, if we showed up in his presence the way we are in our sinful nature, we would be consumed. He has to give us a new nature. How does that happen? Only one way. If someone came and lived the perfect life and never sinned once, not even a foolish thought, and that's Jesus Christ, and he stands before the Father and says, I've never sinned, and I'm going to exchange their sin for my righteousness. And if they would trust in me and the cross, what I've done on the cross, I'll consider their trust as if they were righteous. See, Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So if we would trust in the cross and admit we're sinners, he considers our trust as if we were righteous. Then he washes away our sins with his blood. Now we can stand before a holy God as if we never sinned because our sins are dealt with. And now we got a new nature. Now we can be presented before the Father. Isn't that an awesome plan that God came up with? Amen? People say, you know what? I don't like this one-way business you Christians have. You ought to be grateful there is a way. He made a way where there was none. There's only one way. You know, this is the clear directions to heaven. John 3.36 says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You have to believe in the Son. How do you do that? Just two verses. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, Unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. What does repent mean? That means to have a humble heart, admit that you're a sinner, and agree to turn away from a sinful lifestyle, and agree to follow Jesus. 
and walk away from a sinful lifestyle. That's true repentance. Now, on your own, you can't resist sin. But when you get born again, God gives you a new nature. He gives you the grace or the ability to resist the sin. But right now, you just have to be willing to say, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to follow Jesus. Help me, Lord. And you agree to turn away and follow Jesus. That's repentance. Number two, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We have to believe in our own heart and confess him with our own mouth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You want to live at his house? You do it his way. There's only one way. Revelation 20, 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God actually has a book, and he's going to look to see if our names are in his book. And because he loves us, he gives us that free will to choose. But if you say, Bill, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe the Bible. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. Well, then I have a verse for you. Revelation 21.8 says, All unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. There's the warning. He just told you if you don't believe the word, you will end up in the lake of fire. That's the loving message. He's warning you. That's why now you can see why Jesus said in Matthew 12.37, He said, Your own words will condemn you because you said, I don't believe the Bible. You send yourself to hell by your own words. You don't want to do that. God's given us a free will to choose. You know, when the Titanic set sail, there were all different walks of life on that ship, all different religions, all different beliefs, and they say there are three classes of people, the lower, the middle, and the upper class. But after the ship went down at the Starline office in Liverpool, England, there were two signs posted, and the relatives would wait anxiously each day as a man would actually come out to write their relative's name or their friend's name down on one of the signs. One sign said, known to be saved. The other one said, known to be lost. Now, when the ship left, there were all different walks of life, all different beliefs, all different religions, and three classes of people. But in the end, there's only two. You're either saved or you're lost. And it's your choice. So my question for you today is, do you know if your name is written in his book? You don't want to mess up on this decision. This one is permanent. Whether you believe it or not, you will spend your eternity in one place or the other. And heaven is not our default destination. There needs to be a purposeful act on our part if you want to enter heaven. And God's given you that free will to choose. It's up to you. He's a loving God. He's trying to keep people out of hell. But proof that he loves you is that he gave you that free will. You decide. You believe his word or don't you? So I'm going to ask at the count of three, I'm going to ask, if you don't know if your name is in his book, you're not certain, you can be certain. You can be assured of your salvation that you're going to heaven. You can be assured of that right today. If you're willing to confess him as Lord and Savior, repent of your sins, you can have your name in his book. And please don't think, you know what, I can think about this later. Because you don't realize if you leave here, your heart actually grows harder and it's more difficult to reach you. And you don't know that you'll have tomorrow. Nobody expects to die when they do. And if you died and you left here and you didn't receive him, you'd have all eternity to think about, why did I pass up such a free gift? It's free. He loves you. He wants to help you in life and then take you to heaven. 
Why would anybody reject such a good gift? Please, people, I really want you to see this. If you could see hell for five seconds, if you don't know him, you'd run to this altar. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to end up in this place. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Bill, I don't know if my name's in his book, but I want assurance. I want to know that it's in his book. And I, I never really repented of my sins. And I'm willing to do that. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you know better, but you've been living compromised. Today's the day to get your life right with God. And if you don't know him, don't let the devil lie to you and say, you know what, I've got to clean up my life first before I come to God. That's a lie. You just come as you are. He loves you. He will clean you up. So at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. If you want assurance, then raise your hand. One, two, three. I see hands all over. Thank you for your honesty. You want to make sure God sees that hand because he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If everybody would stand to their feet, I'm going to challenge each person that raised their hand to get out of your seat, come down to the front to give us the privilege of praying for you. I know it takes some guts to get out of your seat, but you know, it shows God you're not doing this half-heartedly, saying, I mean business with you, God. You're making a full commitment to him. And most of us have done this. nothing to be embarrassed about. Plus, there's something about coming forward. You'll never forget this time at the altar. It's really a special time. And you're going to go from eternity. You'll have eternity in heaven coming forward here. Listen, I just want to make sure that everybody in this room goes to heaven. I don't want one person to not go. So I'm going to do one more thing. And this is not to embarrass anybody. I just want you to really think about this decision in case there's just one more in here that's thinking about it. For all you people that are standing, not you that came forward, but all you people that are standing, if you die today and you're positive, you would go to heaven. And you can be positive. If you're born again, you can be absolutely assured you're going to heaven. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to sit down. If you're not positive, just remain standing. And, I, and that's not to embarrass you. I'm just trying to get you to make you think. Okay, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. So please just give it another minute and think about it. God doesn't want you to come up here unless you're ready, unless you're willing. But I know he's speaking to you now because he loves you. You're welcome to join us and come up here. And I appreciate your honesty standing. That's admirable. But you have one last opportunity. If you want to come forward, we're going to say a prayer. And you don't give up anything coming to God. You only gain. There's nothing you're giving up. He wants to help you. Your choice. But just know when you stand before God at Judgment Day, He'll point to this time. He'll say, I gave you the opportunity. You won't be able to point the finger at God. I'm going to wait another 30 seconds because every soul is precious. It says all of heaven celebrates over just one person. 
That's how valuable you are to God. Heaven is waiting for you right now. The wisest decision you could ever make. Okay. Last opportunity. Anybody else? Remember, all heaven celebrates over just you. Your choice. at a meeting and a pastor's nephew brought his friend and his friend afterwards said, I don't believe Bill Weiss, I don't believe the Bible. And he said, you're my best friend, I want you to go to heaven with me. He said, I don't want to talk about that. They went to breakfast the next day and he said, please, you're my best friend, I want to spend eternity with you. He's only 23 years old. He said, don't talk to me about the Bible, I'm not interested. This is a true story. And he said, please. And he goes, don't talk to me, I don't want to hear it. He got up from the table Five minutes later, his car hit a brick wall and he died. He was only 23. He didn't expect to die that day. And his best friend now was thinking about him in hell for all eternity. If he didn't change that last five minutes, he could have, but probably not. That's why this decision is so important. Please don't treat this lightly. All right, we're going to say a prayer. You guys ready? say this out loud, you're going to repeat after me, and we can all say this out loud. But all you people that came forward, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, one hand at least, or two, and just, it's an act of surrender. It's showing God, Lord, you gave, you gave me your life, I'm giving you mine. Just showing an act of surrender. All right, let's all say this prayer. Dear God in heaven, I know that I've sinned, and I cannot save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, that he was crucified, died and was buried, but rose again and lives forevermore. I ask you to come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You are the Son of God. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for taking me to heaven. And I now confess I'm a born-again Christian going to heaven and I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Woo! I just... Praise the Lord. Amen, right? Yes. I just want to share one more thing with you real quickly. Uh, two, two quick things to get in the habit of, as all you people that came forward. It's so important to read the Bible every day. 
It's not a religious exercise. The Bible is actually a manual for life. It teaches us how to live life. And, you know, we brag about Jesus. Well, you get to know him through his word because he is the word. And you'll fall in love with him the more you read. Also, there's a devil that hates our guts and wants to kill us and destroy us. But the way Jesus handled the devil was he quoted the word and then the devil fled. But if you don't have the word in you, you won't know what to quote and he won't leave you alone. So we got to get the word in our hearts and resist the devil and he'll flee from us. It's so important. And then the second thing is, it's so important to go to a good church where you're taught the right word of God. A lot of churches don't. And so it's, you make new friends, you get people that will pray for you when you go through times of trouble, and you get taught by the pastor good teaching. So it's really important to get plugged into a good church and learn. Because now you're brand new. It's just like a, if you join the military, they don't just give you a rifle and throw you out in the front lines. They teach you and train you. Well, you need to go to a church and get trained up. Well, if you don't have a good church, you're in one right here. You're in a good church right now. Pastor, where's the pastor? Right here, bro. Oh, there he is, right here. <laughs> right here in front. Right in front of me. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I just appreciate all of you so much. It's such a blessing and an honor to speak to you. And I, again, encourage all the Christians, do everything you can for God. And, you know, one last thing God said to me. Jesus said, tell them I'm coming very, very soon. Ooh, then he repeated himself. Yeah. He repeated it and he said, tell them I'm coming very, very soon. Now, I don't know what's soon to God, but honestly, I felt in my heart we don't have a lot of time. And God's extended. I think he's given us a window to win souls right now. It's so important to do all you can for God. And he showed me what you do for him, he will remember for all eternity. He'll write down in his book everything you do for him. So it gave me an eternal perspective. Be sold out for God. Get involved in the church. Help around the church. Get plugged in. Witness. Do everything you can for God because we don't have a lot of time. But what we do for him, he will remember forever. Amen. Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord. Thank Praise you, Pastor. Lord. I'll be in the back. So before you dismiss, please, before you dismiss one minute, if you came forward this morning, and you either committed your life to Christ for the first time or recommitted, we would love to meet you back in the west side offices. Pastor Ben is over there. Pastor Ben's going to hold up his hand. There's a lot of you, so we'll be comfortable in there, cozy, tight. But um, we also have a gift for you, and we'd love for you to come on back and just spend a few minutes with us before you go home. And uh, Grace Fellowship Church, can we just give another round of applause for Jesus Christ and Bill Weiss, please? Let's pray together, please. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of this time. We thank you before the world was ever created, you knew that Bill would be here and you knew that these who were lost would come to you and now be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for picking us up out of the muck and the mire, the slimy pit, and putting our feet down on a rock, which is you. Lord, thank you for saving us from hell and giving us heaven. We pray now that we would go forth and we would be light and salt to the world, God. Give us your word in and through us that more and more would come to know that the love that you have. We pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, Grace. We can head back to the west side there. Prayer team, if you'd come back with us as well, please. Your enemies crash to the knees as we rise up and
。